For over 10 years, parents have trusted A2 Platinum Premium Infant Formula to nourish their newborns, and it's now available in the U.S. A2 Platinum is nutritionally complete with essential ingredients like DHA, vitamin E, and prebiotics, and it's certified by the Clean Label Project. Quality and safety are A2 Platinum's top priorities with a flawless track record of zero recalls. Join the millions of parents who choose A2 Platinum. Pick up A2 Platinum Infant Formula at your local Wegmans store or visit a2platinum.com findnow. Hello and welcome back to season six of the Referendum Podcast, brought to you by FinFlamSports.com with your host Big John and lead analyst Jesse J. Hello and welcome back to the Referendum. I am your host Big John, brought to you by lead, lead analyst Jesse J. Jesse, how you doing? Good. How about you? Pretty, pretty good. Uh, we just got done watching Monday Night Football between the Denver Broncos and the Buffalo Bills. What an exciting game. Um, let's break that down real quick. What do you think happened in this game for the Bills to lose it? So for the Bills, and, it's... Oh, real, real quick, let me, let, me, let me just premise it. Sorry, Jess. Let me just premise it. The Bills, um, the Denver Broncos defeated the Bills 24-22. I just had to put that score out there. Go ahead. So this was pretty simple for the Bills. They had multiple turnovers and their defenses had injuries, so they lacked up there. Really what you saw in this game is the Broncos were able to hit a couple shots downfield and get a couple penalties, but a lot of it was catch and run to the running back, and the Bills don't really have a ton of depth at linebacker. I believe they lost Matt Milano, who was their best linebacker. I believe he's out for the season. So you look at the Bills, they just turnovers, bad play from your quarterback, and inability to tackle on defense. That's going to lead to uh, a lot of losses. And in this case, the Broncos basically did everything they could to hand this game back to the Bills, but the Bills just too many mistakes. And then the late penalty uh, when the Broncos missed the game-winning field goal gives them another chance. They make it, and the Bills end up losing. That lands on the head coach, or does it land on the special teams, that mistake right there? Or does it land on the players themselves? I think it's a combination of the special teams coach and the players. By this point, you should know who's playing special teams. Uh, The Bills have had some injuries, so – that makes me wonder if maybe they've moved some guys to special teams or they have some new guys. But at this point, and with all the and with all like the field goals kicked in, extra points kicked in this game, you would you would think you would know who's playing special teams and not. To have a twelfth man play like that is inexcusable. And it's just kind of it's it's symptomatic or it's it's a symbol of kind of how the season has gone for sure. the Bills this season, where it just they little tiny mistakes have added up and it has led them to five and five. Do you think there was any trickery psychologically on the Denver Broncos um, to just near the football, near the football, near the football, and then rush off the field and bring their kicking team in with no timeouts left. Do you I think mean, that that confused the Bills players to have 12 men on the field? Maybe, but at that point, they missed the kick. Yeah. The, the Broncos did that, but they end up missing the kick. If the, if the Bills had just lined up correctly, got everyone off the field and everyone on the field that was supposed to be on the field, they would have won the game. They just and, – and when it came to – when it comes to a play like that, 
you just you have to trust that you can get guys on and off field. And at that point, if you don't know if you're supposed to be on the field, just don't run out on the field. Because if they would have had 10 players out there, they would have won. And it's got to be frustrating for a team like Buffalo where you basically got bailed out because the Broncos decided to rush on the field goal unit. And you basically were bailed out, but then they get another chance because you didn't line up correctly. Or you had, in this case, you had too many players out on the field. Well, Russell Wilson played great in his game. He went 24 for 29, 193 yards of two touchdowns. You may kind of scoff at, at those numbers, but just looking at the game and watching it in, in its entirety, he played really good and he made all the right plays. Um, he actually, in, in some instances in this game, looked like old Russell Wilson. And um, it was very good to see that, you know, I understand that maybe he lost some confidence um, for a while. Well, over the past few weeks, he seems to be getting or gaining his confidence back. He defeated the Chiefs um, in their last game, and this is a huge win for them as well, defeating the Bills. That's two of the top AFC teams that the Broncos took down. Credit to Russell Wilson and, and the Broncos. They did their job, and they did so their the job game, very well. I think the Broncos have played really well, but I think they've been a benefactor of teams turning the ball over. They played the Chiefs, turned the ball over five times. They played the Bills. Turned the ball over what four times? Excuse so, me. And if you look at if you look at Russell Wilson, his running backs had seven catches for sixty six yards in this game and a touchdown. Uh, this, his passing game is mainly relying on his running backs out of the backfield to be catch and run guys, break tackles, and it's worked the last. Couple, but I think the I think the larger point for this is that I don't think that's sustainable. I think within the next couple of weeks, you're going to see teams start to adjust and make him try to work down the field. And I still think that's a bit of an issue for Russell Wilson, especially throwing over the middle of the field. I don't think that's his strong area. So they're hot right now. They're getting teams to turn the ball over. But I don't know if this is sustainable. And it's still one of those things where you want to see Russ do a little bit more with what they have. I, I agree with you on the Russell Wilson part. But the fact that I think you're making excuses um, for the teams throwing um, inter uh, turnover or having turnovers or interceptions or whatever else, that's their fault. Yeah, but the Broncos did what they're supposed to do. If you're, if you're looking at if you're looking into sustainability at the quarterback position, you want your quarterback to not throw for less than 200 yards a game. Like R Russ Wilson has played good; he's not turning the ball over, and that's largely why they're winning these games. Is because he last year he was frequent he it was frequent with him turning the ball over. This year he's not doing it, and they're able to win some games now. But if this is going to be long term and sustainable, especially with his contract going up, and then having to the, they're gonna have to make a decision on a guy a guy like Cortland Sutton after the season. They're gonna have to make a decision on a guy like Jerry Judy. You have to have Russ play a little bit better if he's gonna be making more money, and you have to let some of these younger guys walk who are gonna be free agents. I agree, I agree. But their defense, the the, the Broncos defense played very well too. They pressured yeah. Josh Allen good enough. Um, you made a point that they um were drawing were able to put the ball down the field in some instances and then score. And they did do that, but it was a lot of slop on the part of the Buffalo Bills part. They just didn't come together as a cohesive team for a good period of the, of the game. Well, and it's not like it's one week for the Bills. They very easily could have lost to the Giants on Sunday night football. They probably yeah. should have lost on Sunday night football, but they, they were able to hang on and win. And, it's one of those things where I just look at that. I look at this Bills team and they don't look like a contender. They don't even look like a playoff team. They don't at all. And that's one of the things that you and I were talking about when they were going against Tyrod Taylor and the Giants. They should have easily lost that game and they got bailed out. The game against the Jaguars, they thought they had the game. The Jaguars came back, beat them. 
and they should have lost that game. The Patriots, another game, boom, beat them. The defense well, was all over them. So what does this it, tell you about what does this tell you about the the offensive line and the pressure that Josh Allen is facing? Well, yeah, I, I just think their offense you can't they, handle the pressure. Their their offense just right now it's not working. Their defense is having problems. And if you look at the win against the Giants, there was a throw into the end zone from Tyrod Taylor where it very easily could have been pass interference, and the Giants yeah. had to maybe get a fresh set of downs and win that game. You look at this game late in the game, Russell Wilson throws the ball deep. There's a pass interference on Jerry Judy. Uh, and sometimes that's just how it goes. You you get the breaks on the, in the Giants game. You don't get the breaks in this game. And if you just look at how the Bills are playing, they're playing like a average to below average football team right now. And it's been like that most of the season. They really are. Um, the 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 part where the the blame has to come in on on Sean McDermott. I've been I've been saying nonstop all year. But the part where you've especially been right over the past several years is that. Josh Allen is a really good quarterback, but he's a fuck up. He's going to do Josh Allen things, as you've told me nonstop, repeatedly, where he will put the game with where he where where he will put the game in, in jeopardy, and put it on the line for the opposing team to take. And he did that so many times this game. What is it? The quarterback coach that needs to talk to him? Is it is it the offensive coordinator who needs to talk to him? Um, how can he fix his game? He's just he he's always had a little bit of recklessness in in him, and you saw it his first couple of years. He was able to tone it down a little bit in the COVID year, but it, even 2021, he was fine most of 2021. It was, I, I and people might say it's over overreacting or oversimplifying it, but I think it kind of comes down to the 2021 divisional round game against the Chiefs, where he had his best game, he made every throw in that game, didn't turn the ball over, and yet they still lost. It, it's like at times, he that game gave him a rational confidence to try to make every throw, when sometimes it's easier just to hit the tight end hit a running back and check it down. They sometimes he'll try to force throws. And he had one in this game where he threw an interception. He tried forcing it, and it was a bad pick before halftime. It's just sometimes Josh Allen just needs to tone it down. And it's frustrating to watch him at times play football because sometimes if he it's not always throwing it down to the run. It's just checking it to a tight end or going to your number two tight end, going to a third receiver, not always trying to hit the home run because it feels like a lot of the time, it feels like a lot of the times, Josh Allen is striking out. That maybe the last couple of years he was hitting most home runs. Now it feels like he's striking out a lot, and that's not good. Yeah, it's. I mean, but that doesn't solve the problem. Is there a personnel that they need to hire to to fix him? I mean, who's no. a quarterback whisperer that can that can get through to him? Who's out there in the market? I mean, you have the Chargers' offensive coordinator who may be a good a good fit for him because he is wild as well. Um, in, in calling his offenses, who what's his name? Oh my God, um, Kellen Moore. Kellen Moore. I think he would be a good fit for him. And I think he would be a good, a better head coach than Sean McDermott is. So you had Brian, when Brian DeBall was their offense coordinator, it seemed like he kind of reined Allen in and that's when Allen was playing his best football. So he goes to, he goes to the Giants to be head coach and it's been Ken Dorsey as offense coordinator and it's been very shaky at times. It's been, sometimes they've, when they played well, they played really well, but there's been a lot of down games for them. So I almost wonder if it's just going to go get as good of an offensive coach or as good of a fit for Josh Allen as you possibly can with your next head coach. Cause I think they probably get rid of Sean McDermott. I know. I think they just gave him extension pretty recently, but I mean, at this point you're probably going to miss the playoffs. You're probably a team that's going to kind of have to rebuild a little bit. You go out and you go get a offensive head coach that you can pair with Allen and try to build something up again. So would you go with the Chargers offensive coordinator or no? I think you got to take a look at multiple people. Uh, Kellen Moore is someone you have to take a look at. 
I think you have to take a look at Eric Bieniemy, Ben Johnson from the Lions. As I was going to say the Lions offensive coordinator. Yep, Ben Johnson. I think you you got a, uh, the Texas offense coordinator. I, I don't, I don't think you touch that guy. I, and if the Texans were to do that, I think you you mess up the flow of CJ Stroud, and you can't do that to that to that young man. Yeah, but he hasn't had enough time to have any any complete sustainability under one offensive coordinator. He doesn't need a carousel of thirty, like so many of these quarterbacks go through. You can't do that to that guy. It's too it's soon. Been, you got to take a you got to take a look at maybe that guy. You you I think you definitely have to look at upgrading your offensive staff and just maybe a change of staff in general just to try to get more out of your team. Because this team, th- this team's probably going to have to go through a little bit of a revamp period. And they're probably, they might even have a down year next year, but I think it, it's all to try to build and get a team back to contending status because they do not look like they're still a contender right now. When you say rebuild, keeping Sean McDermott or no? No, I think you have, I think you move on from Sean McDermott. I think he's a good coach and he'll get another job. I just think you've kind of, it's kind of ran his course now. Well, I think he'd be better suited in Arizona than anything. They already have a good defense. Any other notes? No, that's it. Okay, well, let's get to the news. Coming out of week 10 and going into week 11, Just what do you have for us? Okay, so we're going to start off with our news of the week. And first, we have the Denver, Bron- we have the Denver Broncos winning on a game-winning field goal. First time in NFL history, we've had six game-winning field goals uh, in, in its history in one week. So I, I think, start off with that, that's just... It's insane that nearly half the games ended with a walk-off field goal. It's one of, it shows how close teams have been this year in terms of competitiveness, competitiveness and parity. Yeah, I agree 100%. Jaguars wide receiver Zay Jones was arrested for domestic battery uh, by the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office and booked into Duval County Jail at 6.03 p.m. Eastern Time on a charge of domestic battery causing bodily harm, a first-degree misdemeanor. That's a big one because he's one of their better receivers, and that's a team struggling right now. So no, when something like this happens, can a team go out and sign anybody like an undrafted free agent or how, how does that work? So you have to wait for one of two things to happen. You either have to cut him or I guess three. One, you have to cut him. You have to keep him active and hope they and hope that nothing happens. Or he goes in the commissioner's exempt list, which means he's he's on a reserve list and you can sign somebody to take his spot while the incident is being investigated. If I were to guess, he's probably going to go on the commissioner's exempt list. And they'll probably sign another receiver to take a spot. Okay. The Saints are signing pass rusher Jason Pierre-Paul. The Ravens are um, expected to give undrafted free agent uh, running back Keaton Mitchell a large workload for the team. He's been really, he's been a really solid addition for them. Uh, I definitely, you can definitely see him pop off the screen when he was playing. Oh, absolutely. He was running all over that fucking defense. Rams quarterback Matt, Matt Stafford is expected to re- make his return to the team this week per Sean McVay. That would be important for the Rams. They just have had so many issues at quarterback. I, I still wonder if Stafford's going to be able to make it through the year. If they just signed Carson Wentz, I know they need a backup, but you just wonder with Matt Stafford, do you just try to shut him down to get healthy? Doesn't feel like he's been healthy at any point these last two years. I think that the bigger issue is not Matthew Stafford. The bigger issue is whether or not Sean McVay can come up with a organized plan to ensure his team wins games because the past few games he has coached the past three games against the Steelers, the Cowboys, and I don't know who the last one was. I can't remember. He, his game plan has been bad, really bad. Last, the last game before this week for the bye week was the worst game of the, of the season that he's coached that probably I've ever seen. Him coach and that backup Ripian, which you know you said they had to go out and get get a backup Carson and sign Carson Wentz. He's no good. 
you ensure some type of um, collateral plan with having Carson Wentz and in in backing up Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford isn't the issue. I think Sean McVay is a bigger issue here. Uh, you've seen that at times with Sean McVay. His play calling gets a little bit erratic. Sometimes I think it feels like he coaches very conservatively for a guy who people think so highly of. Yes. Saints receiver Michael Thomas and cornerback Marshawn Lattimore suffered significant injuries in yesterday's game, but aren't considered season-ending, says head coach Dennis Allen. Thomas suffered a knee injury. Lattimore suffered an ankle injury. Those would be two big losses for a team that can't really afford to lose guys and is dealing with quarterback issues right now. Well, t- exactly. Two huge factors considering that they're right on the on the brink of just trying to get over 500. And the, the they lost this week, so they're gonna have a bye week, which gives them some some space. But if this if they were supposed to have a game this week, I would hit nine one one for that team. T Higgins is questionable to play versus the Baltimore Ravens Thursday night to start off week eleven. This is a, this is an important injury because it's a hamstring issue, and you wonder if it was a regular game, or have they beat the Texans that they had, they would hold T Higgins out. I think he tries to play in this game, but that could be an issue if he re-aggravates his hamstring because we're, then we're talking we're talking maybe sitting him out this Thursday night game and him coming back next week and being mostly healthy. To If he gets hurt again, he may be being out the next month. Right. Panthers head coach Frank Wright says there won't be any changes on the team's coaching staff despite the slow start. When it comes to the Panthers, they just I think the best thing you could do is just get through the season, try to add as much talent as possible to their receiving core, and just try to support Bryce Young as much as you can. The Panthers seem conflicted because it, it feels like their ownership really wanted uh, Bryce Young, but it felt like maybe some of their country staff was more sold on CJ Stroud. And with the way Stroud is playing, that's got to be putting a lot of pressure on everyone in that Panthers organization. Well, Frank Reich, I believe, um, he also said that he was going to take over the realms of play calling heading forward. So that, I don't know if they're actually going to be shopping for another offensive coordinator. Um but that's what that, that's what I did here as well. Well, and to me, that's part of the issue is when you start changing offense coordinators. Sometimes you if sometimes you have to just admit you're bad, try to improve throughout the season, and then get better in the offseason. That means adding more talent, seeing what didn't work coaching wise. I feel like when you start changing coordinators and you start having one guy call plays, another guy call plays, and then the head coach call plays, that's what really hurts a quarterback's development. Well, so this is my issue with you saying that Buffalo could go and sign the offensive coordinator for the Houston Texans and leaving CJ Stroud to come into contact with another one. I don't think it's healthy for a young quarterback like that to experience that so soon. It's it's it, historically, it'll show you it's not a good thing for a young quarterback. Yeah. But, but if, if you're the, if you're a bills and you're trying to hire the Texans OC, it's that you're trying to establish that you're trying to get a little bit of what they have in your organization. That's why you hire them is that we're going to take this offensive system and we're going to build this thing around Josh Allen and our new head coach, and we want them to work together and create something cohesive. Uh, with the Texans, I mean, the, with the job they did hiring D'Amico Ryans and him building that staff, I think that if they lose their offense coordinator, I do think they'd be able to replace it. Mm, that's tough. Te- I don't think I don't think they can. The, the Texans were one of the – they were in one of the worst spots last year, and the fact that they've turned it around this much, it gives me confidence that D'Amico Ryans – knows what he's doing and can find another offensive coordinator that can fit with CJ Stroud. See, I don't think, I don't think that's true because if, if that's true, then why don't the bills go out and get that person who they're going to hire after him? What do you mean? If you're saying that the offensive coordinator for Houston Texans should be signed by the Buffalo yeah, bills. I don't think that's going to happen. I, I still think teams are going to want to see him do it for another season because I think this is his first time really calling plays and being an offensive coordinator, but with how great 
CJ Stroud has played, he's going to get head coaching interviews and there's, and there's a chance he gets a head coaching job. So I think that's something you have to bring up. But see, why can't they do that? If you're, if you're giving credit to the head coach, why can't you, why can't the Buffalo Bills look at the same thing you just said about how the head coach has, he, he found this guy who can do this and whatever else. Well, why can't they go hire the person who's supposed to replace the current offensive coordinator for the Houston Texans? Why not do that? They could do that. But typically when teams fire coaches, they go to the opposite side. So in this case, the Bills have a defensive head coach and they're probably going to fire him. True. So my guess is that they're going to then hire an offensive head coach, which means you're going to you're going to hire somebody whose system that you like and think is combat and think is compatible or excuse me, compatible with Josh Allen. Yeah, that's I'm pretty sure he's got some combativeness, some combativeness in that locker room right now. Well, I mean, that's. It feels like, it, and that's one of the problems with the Bills is that it just feels like they lost Brian DeBowell and they they don't seem to have an identity offensively. It felt like you kind of knew what they wanted to do with DeBowell, where they're going to run the ball a little bit, they're going to play action, take shots downfield, and he was able to kind of rein him in. Now it just feels like only plays and there's not really any rhyme or reason to their strategy. Right. DeMar Hamlin made his first snaps uh, as a, on defense for the Buffalo Bills in tonight's Monday Night Football game. So I, th- I think that was a big moment when there's an injury, DeMar Hamlin comes in, these are his first defensive snaps. He played in a couple games special teams-wise, but these are his first defensive snaps back with the Bills. Is it fair for him to be on the comeback player of the year list at number one? Given his situation, I say yes, because given what we knew at the time, it's a miracle that he's basically playing football still. I think had it just been a regular, oh, he tore his Achilles or even broke his leg or something like that. No, but given the situation and how unique this circumstance was, I think it makes a lot of sense to give him comeback player of the year. Okay. Um, did you go over Marlon Humphrey? Yeah. You did? Yeah, we, we oh uh one last one last thing. Raven star Marlon Humphrey suffered a calf strain, not an Achilles injury, as some feared. That's that's a big thing for the Ravens. They can't afford to lose Marlon Humphrey. Yeah, if he does. I would like to see the, the Ravens see how they play without him. You're that good? Let me see how good you really are. Yeah, and, and that's one of those things where the Ravens, you just can't afford to lose players. That's been their biggest issue over the last few years is once you've gotten to the middle to late part of the season, they've lost a ton of players, and it's affected their quality of play. It's been a reason why they dropped from competing for the division to the wild card last year and, and other years missed the playoffs entirely. I sent you something earlier about the uh, best quarterback records versus winning teams. Do you have that before we move on? I do. The best quarterback records versus winning teams in 2023. Jalen Hurts at 3-0. Lamar Jackson, 4-1. Patrick Mahomes, 3-1. Trevor Lawrence, 3-1. And and CJ Stroud, 3-1. I believe this was before entering week... I believe this was before entering week... Oh, wait, no. Was this entering this week or... I was entering this week. Okay. Yeah, and it makes a lot of sense. As I should say, that's closing this week out. That's what it is. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, most of these names make sense. The one name we really haven't seen maybe live up to that is Trevor Lawrence. He's had some the last few weeks, and it really looks like he hasn't progressed. We'll get into it a little bit later, but that's really the one name that kind of surprises me on this list of quarterbacks. Okay, well, the question for me is, regarding those quarterbacks, are these the top five quarterbacks in the league on this list? I think of these quarterbacks, these are four of the top five. Who would be so you're obviously taking out Trevor Lawrence. Yes. Um who would be that number fifth spot or that other spot in between there? 
that's an interesting question. I think for me right now, maybe Dak Prescott. If he hadn't got hurt with the way he was playing the last, I would say, three or four weeks, probably would have been Kirk Cousins. But I I would probably say right now probably Dak, Dak Prescott. I think he's played overall better than Trevor Lawrence has played this season. See, I would have to say Jared Goff. Oh, that's that's probably actually the right answer is Jared Goff. I, I forgot about him, but yes, that's probably the right answer is Jared Goff. And I'm interested to see, I mean, I can always look it up and do the math myself, what his record is against winning teams. Um, I know he lost against Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, but you know, gives me food for thought. Okay. Well, well uh, that's to get into that real quick, I believe. So they played the Chiefs, and they were both 0-0. Zero zero. The Seahawks and Lions, the Seahawks were 0-1 when they played them. I believe he had, I believe uh, the Falcons were a winning team. I believe the Packers were a winning team. And I, and I think that's it for the season. I think everyone else was 500 or below. And then, obviously, they lose the Ravens. Yes. So, so I think it's been pretty even with, with Jared Goff. Okay. Well, he's, he did, I think out of anybody, I think Jared Goff's probably the, the best person to put in that spot then. Yeah, I, I feel like if you watch them play, I think you probably go with, what, Jared Goff and then Dak maybe, and then Burrow in terms of what I've seen the entire season. Yeah. I mean, I think that's fair-ish. I, I, I'm just hesitant on Dak. I don't trust Dak. The, the only reason I would have Burrow below Dak is because I know he was a little bit banged up, but you can't take away the first month of the season from Burrow when he was legitimately one of the five worst starting quarterbacks in the NFL. Agreed. Because then you would have to say, okay, was is, does Tua belong in there? Um, right, right. Does 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 arguably um, Joshua Dobbs belong in that conversation? Because he's played very well consistently. Not saying he's won or he's put up huge numbers, but as one of the top five quarterbacks. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say top five, but I think he's played as a top half of the quarterback. If you're asking me what he's been, he's been a top 15 or 16 quarterback in the NFL, which doesn't right. sound great. But considering some of the bad quarterbacks we've seen this season, having that level of quarterback is the difference between winning and losing games. Just look at Zach Wilson. Yes, I agree. And let me see real quick. I mean, because Joshua Dobbs, he beat the Saints, who was maybe 500. I don't remember. Um, and then he's, he's only got three win, three wins for the season. Well, he, he beat the Cowboys. Bad team. Yes, but I'm saying he beat the Cowboys. He came in the Falcons and, game and won. I can't see. Yeah, so I mean, he's he's beaten two um, teams over 500, and then the the Saints just recently, and they're at 500, or they were at 500. Okay. Uh, so going to the best game of the week, who do you have? I have the Cleveland Browns defeating the Baltimore Ravens in a very very exciting game for me because I'm a huge fan of Deshaun Watson. And this will go into one of my surprises, um, my top five surprises of, of the week. And that's that Deshaun Watson played his best game of the year, especially in the second half. He really, really gained his confidence and was able to not overthink and not um, panic in the moments that he has been doing that lately when it comes down to in, in the game, late, late in the game. So just in the second half. He went 14 for 14, 134 yards, one touchdown with the game-winning drive. That's the best game of his Browns career. And he did really good. And I'm glad. I want to see something like this. At least to give me a glimpse. This is the, actually the first glimpse I've had to see of him play this well. And uh, he did a very good job. Lamar Jackson, the Ravens' offensive line, when they're pressured, they become erratic. Lamar Jackson can still make those throws. But when they're pressed, they begin to panic. I think, and I think we've seen that with the Colts, and I think we've seen that with the Steelers 
um, in their in all three of those losses. I think that's what you see with the with the Ravens is that they're very much a front running team when they're when they have the lead and they're in control. They they can really kind of beat up on teams, but when they do get to those games that are close, and in this case they were up by fourteen, but when the Browns wouldn't go away and they cut it down to seven, what happened? The Ravens got tight. They had a pick six. And then they give up the field goal late to lose the game. I mean, Lamar Jackson won 223 yards, one touchdown, and two picks. I mean, that that's not good. But anytime you turn the ball over, it's going to be bad, especially yep. during this close of a game when the Browns beat them 33-31. You can't have those turnovers. That's almost like today's game between the, the Broncos and the Bills. Turnovers matter. And I feel like this was a game where Lamar could have really staked his claim as an MVP candidate. And you were starting to hear some of the buzz about, well, could he be the MVP? And then he has this game where they just fall apart at the end and feel like that that's going to be a big hit to his candidacy. Very much so. I mean, I don't think he was in the I don't think he was the front runner for the MVP. No, he, like he was like he was he wasn't the front runner, but he was climbing. Oh no, absolutely. But I'm saying just by the talking heads on on TV, they were hyping him up so much. But you said it right. The same pattern has happened, and he does the same shit every time. And just on play alone, anytime his defense. The, the, there's a good defense to go against him. He gets pressured and he gets pressed and he doesn't like it. I don't think any team would like it, but that's how vulnerable this offensive line is for the for the Baltimore Ravens. Miles Garrett alone had one and a half sacks. He did good, very good. Other players on that defense got half sacks all across the board. So they did the defense did did their job for them for the most part. My game of the week was the Texans versus the Bengals. I think what we saw in that game was C.J. Stroud. For the most part, played really well. He had the bad pick. The Bengals are unable to score a touchdown with the Tyler Boyd drop in the end zone. They kick a field goal to tie the game. Texans then come down and are able to kick the field goal. C.J. Stroud, really big drive from him, showing that he could rebound after a bad turnover. What a great game. Uh, that was probably my runner-up. Joe Burrow looked really healthy in this game. His ability to, to scramble because of that pressure from the from the front seven from, from Houston. Um, he did very good escaping, but he just couldn't do enough to ensure that his team won. Oh, the big and, I'm, and, and I'm going to reiterate something that I've said about C.J. Stroud for weeks. He loves to play from behind. He's more comfortable playing from behind. I'm not sure why, and I still say it's not the best recipe to win a game. But you have to give him credit that he's pulling these games out regardless. The only game he hasn't been able to do that really was against the Carolina Panthers when they got their first win against someone I think it was 13-12. and 12. And he couldn't, he couldn't score. He couldn't do anything. So congratulations to him. And there is no doubt in my mind that C.J. Stroud is the best quarterback in the league, and he should be the front runner for the MVP. An excellent game. So who is your number – we're, we're going to get into our top five disappointments. Who is your number one? Well, first, real quick, let me just go through uh, my, my top three clutch players of the week. I'm going to give a shout-out to New Orleans Saint wide receiver Chris Olave. Um, he is the clutchest player of the week, even in a, in a loss versus a strong – and resilient Minnesota Vikings team as he was catching everything thrown at him to the highest degree of difficulty going 94 yards, six receptions and one touch and one touchdown. The the passes that he was catching from Derek Carr, but even Jameis Winston, he was unmatched. There was no defensive player who was going to shut him down yesterday. He played excellent the entire game and hats off to how great of a player he truly is. He is my Number one clutch player of the week. Do you have one or should I go on oh, with one? For me, it was Josh Jobs. I think what you saw is that 
the Vikings, the Vikings can still be a contending playoff team with Josh Dobbs as their quarterback. They beat a team like the Saints that maybe isn't the greatest team, but they're still a team that could be a playoff team. And the Vikings were able to beat that team with Josh Dobbs. That should give them a lot of confidence going forward. That's my number two. He's a guy I've been praising since week one um, as he started with the Arizona Cardinals. Just something about him just told me that he's hungry. And he was better than the, the players he was playing with on that Arizona Cardinals team. He did very, very good, and his ability to scramble and extend a play is almost unmatched right now, probably with the exception of Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. He's that good at scrambling, and he's that good at, at being elusive um, against the defenses. He's playing very, very well. He went 23 for 34 in, this, in the game versus the Saints with 268 yards in the air with one touchdown. And he also had eight carries for 44 rushing yards and one rushing touchdown. He did damn, damn good. I'm so happy for him. And this is, I'm so glad that he's a, he was able to put back-to-back wins together for the Minnesota Vikings. And I think that should give their players, defensively, special teams, and the rest of the, the players offensively, some type of hope that this either could be the guy or they have something special, at least for this season, with Joshua Dobbs. That's my number two. My number two is Jared Goff. I think what we saw is that, in a in a shootout game with with the Chargers, he was able to be very efficient and make the right plays basically every single time. Big reason why they were able to beat the Chargers in a high scoring game. What an excellent game, and I I concur a hundred percent. Who's your number three, Jess? My number three is Kyler Murray. I think what we saw was him come back and show that he still had his mobility and elusiveness. Has a late game winning drive to win the game for the Cardinals. I think that was a big step forward and show that the Cardinals could be pretty dangerous with Kyler Murray back and fully healthy. Can you remind me what injury he had? Or he, he sustained it late last year. Well, his ability to scramble that good, kudos to him that he actually worked very hard to be able to move his body that way. And he took some hits yesterday. He played very, very well. My number three is CJ Stroud. The man continues to play from behind, as I said, um, when he shouldn't, but he has succeeded in nearly every game to will his team back to victory. He played a red-hot Cincinnati Bengals, who had won three games in a row. There is no doubt in my mind he is the MVP of the NFL right now. That is my number three clutch player of the week. What else we got, Jess? Now we move on to our top five disappointments of the week. Okay, well, my number one disappointment of the week is Christian Watson. In his junior year in the NFL, he has not played well at all. I'm not sure what has happened. If it's a wide receiver coach, that's a problem. Or if it's Jordan Love, who's the problem or if it's the head coach who's the problem, or if it's the environment who's the, that's the problem, or if it's just um, sophomore blues. I don't know. But the guy is so great. After he just destroyed the NFL his, his rookie year, I'm looking for him to, to either go somewhere else, hopefully the Chiefs, and, and be more comfortable, or I, I don't know what the problem is. But the way he played this week, I and over the past all, basically all year, I'm not happy with him. Well, I think what you see is some of the issues with Christian Watson is that he really hasn't developed a ton to his game. He's just primarily a deep threat. It worked last year when you had Aaron Rodgers, and they they seemed to know what their offensive identity was a little bit more because they knew who their quarterback was and what he could and couldn't do. Um, you saw Christian Watson really in the second half of the season emerge as a deep threat for Aaron Rodgers. This year, he hasn't really taken a step forward as a receiver, and they're still trying to figure out what Jordan Love can and can't do. And it's just, it's been bad. I believe I saw a number that Jordan Love has one touchdown and five interceptions throwing to Christian Watson this season, which is one of the worst stat lines in the NFL. 
Okay, now is that because the defense is too good on him? Or are they double coveraging him? What does that mean? I think some of it is that he's trying to force the ball to Christian Watson down the field. Because you, you've seen it. I, I think you saw it late in this game versus the Steelers. And you saw it. A vivid one I remember is the Monday Night Football game versus the Raiders, where he was forcing the ball late in the game to Christian Watson because he's a big target. Yep. But they just weren't on the same page. The throws weren't there. The passes get intercepted. I think that's something they got to figure out because if the Packers are going to turn their season around, it's going to be because they've got Jordan Love and Christian Watson on the same page and they're hitting deep throws. So now are you answering my question by saying that the problem is Jordan Love? No, I I, I think it's just – I think it's a combination of Christian Watson not really developing, that he's just kind of a one-track receiver right now. He's just kind of a deep threat. And it's also – the Green Bay not being creative enough to find ways to get him the ball. Throw him some screens, give him some jet sweeps. He's a very fast athletic player. Try to get all in manufactured touches for it. Well, I'm hoping the Chiefs can get get this guy eventually. Who's your number one? My number one was the Ravens defense. Uh, I know that they gave up the pick six, or well, that was the Ravens defense, but Lamar threw the pick six. But late in the game, and really just in the second half in general, I feel like Deshaun Watson was in control of that game. And he was like 14 to 14 in the second half. They just, they could not stop him. And it just felt like it was a sign of things to come maybe with the Ravens defense. That they beat up on some teams and they had the big win versus the Lions where they just blew them out and everyone wanted to crown them. But they faced some adversity in the divisional game and you could really see some of the holes with their defense and some of the guys get banged up and how, how thin the margin of error is for the Ravens in a game like that. The, the defense, I believe, was ranked in the top five. They were number one scoring defense coming into the week. Say what? They were the number one scoring defense coming into the week. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a stat or there's a breakdown of what that defense has done versus teams with decent defenses, if I can find it. Um, One second, Jess. It's basically that something that you and I talked about earlier, that that defense versus the Colts couldn't stop them. The defense versus who did they lose to? The Steelers late in the game, touchdown. Steelers, and and the Browns almost had the exact same thing where they can't. You where you've said it already, they can't. They can't stop an offense from scoring in a close game. Well, and this was one of the better quarterbacks to win. This is one of the better quarterbacks they played this year. They played C.J. Stroud, C.J. Stroud, um, week one. That they only scored, they only gave up nine points, but that was week one. You're playing a rookie making his first start. They played the Bengals. They gave up 24, but Joe Burrow didn't really look right at all in that game. Week three, they're playing against Gardner Minshew, who comes in for Anthony Richardson. They beat the Browns, who were starting Jordan Thompson-Robinson uh, in week four. They give up the late touchdown against the Steelers, in which they lose that game. They play the Titans, who I believe Tannehill got hurt in that game. And Malik did. Yeah, it, it, that, so that was, a, that was a game in which you finish against a backup quarterback. They they had some issues with the Josh Dobbs Cardinals. They destroyed the Seahawks, and then this Browns game they they had some issues. That I think what we're seeing with the Ravens is that their defense is good, but I think it's really going to be important to kind of go back and see what they struggled with because it just it felt like in the second half they were struggling with everything. Couldn't really stop the run. Couldn't really stop Deshaun from throwing the ball. Deshaun had some nice scrambles in the game too. They just they look a step slow defensively. And that's one of those things I worry about late in games because their three losses have come when they've looked slow and bad defensively late in games. 
Well, this is how bad their defense was making history in a bad way. The Browns trailed for 59 minutes and 20 seconds Sunday. No NFL team this millennium millennium has won while trailing for that long in a game per ESPN stats. That's pretty fucking bad. You were winning the entire fucking game and you just couldn't just couldn't stop it for those 40 seconds. It, hmm. it, it just feels like if the Ravens aren't blowing the team out and they're and they have to play a team that is going to keep it close. It feels like it's a 50-50 proposition with them. That they they're either going to find a way to close the game out running the ball or that they're going to have some bad turnovers and their defense is going to have issues late in games. It, it's it's I don't really know how to put it, but other than they are a good front-running team, but when the games are tight, they're really hit or miss. Well, this was some of the the um, the, the talk from Baltimore from Roquan Smith Heading to Cleveland. Take a listen to this real quick. Sorry, Jess. We're going over to beat their tails in front of that white and piss. And you think about it from our perspective. We're going over to beat their tails in front of that white and piss. He said, we're going over to beat their tails in front of their wife and kids. Tough talk. That's not going to do you any favors if you're talking shit to fucking stir up some somebody that you shouldn't stir up. And they got their ass smacked. That's well, not good. I just feel like one of the issues with the Ravens is that it feels, and I hate to sound like a broken record, but... They have these games where they blow teams out. Everyone gets really excited about them. Then they play games versus teams that can keep it close. And it's it's a 50-50 proposition with them. There are games where the Ravens will just give it away late because they make mistakes defensively or Lamar has a bad turnover. Mm -hmm. So here it is. Baltimore's three losses this year, this year has been tough. The Colts took a safety on this play when they were when the Colts were losing 16 to 17 with two minutes left. The Ravens threw a pick in the end zone versus the Steelers when they were winning 10 to 8. And then we see what happened yesterday with Cleveland. That's on the defense. I wonder where they're going to fall on the ranking. Do they fall out of the top 5 for one of the best for the best defensive one of the best defensive teams in the league? I still think their defense is good. I just I just want to see more consistency out of the Ravens. That I know it's all fun and games to see them blow teams out, but a lot of these games, especially when you get later in the playoffs, it's going to be one possession tight games where you can't make mistakes. Or if you do, it'll probably get you eliminated. And in the case of the Ravens, they seem really prone to having bad, bad plays late in games. And I just I I think back to the Steelers game where they had a turnover and then they give up a big long touchdown to Pickett. Or from Pickens to or to from Pickett to Pickens. Excuse me. I just look at that play and that feels like a play that's gonna get them eliminated in the playoffs. Yeah, not good. And that that division is the toughest division in the NFL. You have three teams right now who are in the playoffs if the season were to end today. You have the Ravens who are winning their division. Then you have the Pittsburgh Steelers who are right behind them. And then you have the Cleveland Browns. And you have the Bengals in the hunt. It's a very tough division. And if their their defense can't get it together going down the stretch versus some of these teams with, with against, I think, Pittsburgh, with a team like Pittsburgh, I should say, who has a very elite defense, they are in trouble. Because that means that that offensive line for Lamar and Lamar themselves, Lamar himself is is, is going to collapse. He's going to fold pretty easily because that pressure TJ Watt's going to put on you, you're not going to be able to stop. Who's your number two, Jess? Uh, Zach Wilson. Not He's not an NFL quarterback. It's just this, and I think we already kind of knew this because just watching him play, you could tell he's not a good quarterback, but this Sunday Night Football game against the Raiders really proved that Zach Wilson's not an NFL quarterback and that the Jets kind of sticking with him has been 
a big reason why they aren't looking like a playoff team right now. Yeah, no argument here. My number two is the Jacksonville Jaguars are my second disappointment. They couldn't figure out anything against what I believed against what I believe to be an overhyped and lucky San Francisco 49ers win. I think this has more about the the loss for the Jacksonville Jaguars than it does the win for the 49ers. I believe the Jaguars have had problems offensively over the past several weeks, and it has not been addressed. But I believe they can figure it out. I mean, they had four turnovers yesterday, and they lost 34 to three. But I think, in my opinion, that this 49ers team reminds me of the Baltimore Ravens. They're gonna if they can beat a team this bad, and then that other team who lost comes back and wins. I think that this is more telling about the team who loses than it is about the team who wins. Because those the teams that the Ravens beat that bad, like the Seattle Seahawks or the Detroit Lions, a team like that, they're going to have those type of losses. Just They're, they're just going to have them. I don't know why, but it seems to happen for all good teams every single year in the NFL. And it just it just does. I think the, the 49ers are, are, are being too praised too fast for a win against the Jaguars while the Jaguars have been having offensive struggles themselves. So congratulations on the win, but I don't think it means anything. I'm more disappointed than the Jaguars and their head coach and Trevor Lawrence have got to figure this out. They had a bad, bad stretch um, in this game where they went, they were three and one to convert the first, to, to convert the third down. And instead of giving it to your number one running back in ETN, you choose to throw the ball, and when you throw the ball, you throw a pick. Bad, bad turn of events for this team. They have to get it together to to keep their place in the playoffs and to show that Trevor Lawrence is an elite quarterback. That's my number. That's my number two. Well, my third one was actually Trevor Lawrence and him not taking the next step forward. I think that's right now. That's the biggest issue the Jaguars are facing is that Trevor Lawrence, who was the number one pick in the draft, everyone thought was a slam dunk pick. He's had moments where he's looked good, but he, I don't think he's taken the next step forward. He's not been the franchise quarterback that people thought he was going to be coming out of the draft. He's well, this, now, is, this is his third year. Yeah, he, he's he's in year three. So, and we're only about halfway through the season, so he's still got time. But I think by now, I would have liked to have seen him take a step forward. It, I thought he was going to take a step forward after the playoff win against the Chargers, where they were down what twenty eight nothing, twenty seven nothing. Come back to win that game. I thought that was going to be a big moment where in the next season, Trevor Lawrence was going to take a big step forward and they'd be real contenders. And I don't think that's happened. And right now, I don't think they're, they are top contenders right now. I think they're a good playoff team. I don't think they're an actual contender because they haven't shown us that they're a contender yet. And you and I are both um, huge fans of Trevor Lawrence. Um, But I think we just expect more. That's fair, correct? Yes. Okay. Who's your number three, Jess? That was your number three, correct? Yes. Okay. My number four, um, though. Yeah. Oh, I was, I was just, uh, do you want to go? or? No, you go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. My number four was the Patriots being a complete disaster and dumpster fire on offense. <laughs> they bench Matt. So, Matt Jones, in this game, has a interception where he just completely underthrows, I believe it was Mike Gesicki, completely underthrows him, throws a pick at the goal line, and the Patriots decide to bench him for the last drive of the game. Okay, well, Bailey Zappi comes out. They get the ball to around, what, the 40-yard line midfield, maybe? Mm-hmm. They are running up, spike the ball. They do not spike the ball. Instead, Bailey Zappi throws in a triple, maybe even quadruple, quadruple coverage, and throws an interception in the game. Just absolute dumpster fire. 
get rid of everyone, get new quarterbacks. It's terrible. Well, I mean, the the Patriots got sacked five times. Their just, offense is a complete dumpster fire. It's just there's nothing. Kendrick Osborne, who or Kendrick Bourne, I mean, excuse me, Kendrick Bourne, who was their best receiver, he gets hurt. Demario Douglas is having a nice season for them, but they just don't have a ton of weapons, and they really haven't used Juju a ton. So you just look at their offense. We don't have a ton of weapons. Our quarterback is struggling. We're giving up sacks. They are a complete dumpster fire on offense. They need to just clean house and rebuild the entire thing. I agree. And I know you don't want to agree with me, but Bill Belichick is on the clock. There are reports that we reported last week that if he lost his game to the Colts, his ass was on the hot seat as it should be. And I think his time in New England is over. And I don't know if he's going to last the entire year. I don't think it should because you need to do something new to give those players who have multi-year contracts some type of hope. Um, otherwise, you're going to have players coming out like they did in Washington saying that he's been doing dealing with the same old shit for 10 years or five years or whatever it was. So I, I, I don't think you can have Bill Belichick be the head coach of that team going forward after this week. My number three disappointment of the week and probably the year and the next year is, well, it appears that Arthur Smith is going to be the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons through 2024. As of right now, the Falcons have said. This, has, this pisses me off because he's a horrible coach who has no idea how to utilize his players or make the right play calls down the stretch to ensure his team can can keep a win, can get a win. And his ego or the front office's ego, which I think it's a combination of both, to have Desmond Ritter in the game for in the games as long as they did throughout the season thus far, and to put the games in such jeopardy over ego and keeping Desmond Ritter in the games when they shouldn't have says everybody in the front office, everybody on the coaching staff needs to be fired because this coach is fucking garbage. I am not happy. Taylor Heineke got hurt during this week and we saw Desmond Ritter come back in and play like shit. He had one good rushing touchdown and that was it. Other than that, this entire team is going to revert back to what it was doing. If Taylor Heineke can't go forward, Coming this coming week because then you're going to see Bijan um, Bijan Robinson not get used. You're going to see Kyle Pitts not get used. You're going to see all this talent not get utilized because this coach and the quarterback don't know how to move the football around or make the right play calls to ensure this team can win games going down the stretch in a division where this division is absolutely winnable. That's my third disappointment, and I'm very pissed and it, not it, happy. When it comes to Arthur Smith, it's just that. Him and the Falcons and just their entire front office. It just doesn't make a ton of sense. Like, the reason they drafted Desmond Ritter in the third round is you draft a quarterback you're trying to develop. Maybe not the highest end prospect, but you think, okay, with our coaching and development, we can turn him into a starter, and then we'll go from there. And he, for the most part, has been up and down, and you really... He's had moments where he's looked okay, but for the most part, it's been a lot of just... He looks kind of just like any other second quarterback on a team. And it was pretty obvious that he wasn't doing some of the basic things you need him to do to win games and just silly turnovers were part of his issue. So you bring in Heineke after you try to, you gave what Ritter six or seven games, you bring in Heineke in this game, he gets hurt. And yeah, Desmond Ritter had a nice drive at the end of the game. You just, it just feels like everything the Falcons are trying offensively isn't really working. I mean, they can run the ball pretty well, but I would say a lot of the big things we thought with this team, and some of the talent they had, just it just hasn't worked out. And I feel like it's a, it's a reflection of what Arthur Smith has built with his offense. 
when you were saying that you don't see Taylor Heineke staying with this team next year. No, I think he'll probably be a backup or maybe a starter on a on a rebuilding team or a team with a young quarterback. I just I can't envision the Falcons. I, I it feels like the Falcons are going to kind of blow up the quarterback room if this season kind of keeps going south. That it feels like they're going to try to make a big investment at quarterback. Maybe it involves moving picks or getting a veteran quarterback. I don't really know at this point, but it it feels like the Falcons have to do something more at quarterback, and I feel like they're going to make a big investment in the offseason. Yeah, this this whole team is going to go downhill if Taylor Heineke can't start or they choose not to start him. And Desmond Ritter, I don't give a fuck how undefeated he is at home, is not the answer. I think Taylor Heineke was the answer game one, and they fucked their fans, they fucked the organization out of wins for ego, and I digress. So, moving to my fourth disappointment of the week, still has to do with Atlanta and their offensive line, which truly cost them the game because there was so much pressure from this Cardinals defense, which I've been giving credit to all year. They could not, they could not get out of their own way, their offensive line, because they're so injured to protect Heineke at all. Um, that's my, that's my fourth disappointment. What do you have next for your disappointments, Jess? So my, my fifth disappointment was Ron Rivera and Jack Delvio's defense for the Washington Commanders. Their defense, I know they traded Chase Young. I know they traded Montez Sweat. Those were two of their four best defensive players, probably their two best pass rushers. But their their defense all season just has not performed. And you look at how much talent they have. I believe they have four first, or they have three first round picks, and then Montez Sweat, who was a second round pick and somebody who's already got paid by another organization, they, they had a lot of talent invested in that defensive line, and it felt like they'd never really load up to the hype other than 2020, which was Rivera's first season as Washington's coach. Yep. It, it's one of the more frustrating things I've seen because it it's clear that Washington has a little bit of talent offensively, and they've done some nice things. I think Eric Vietnamese has done a pretty good job with Sam Howell, despite the fact that he was a fifth-round what like a fifth round quarterback who's basically a rookie learning a new system and then their defense has just been awful like you you would expect a little bit more out of a defense with a veteran head coach like Ron Rivera and a veteran defense coordinator like Jack Dario and instead Absolutely. it's disaster well you know I've been calling for Ron Rivera to be fired for the past two years so what's that tell you there's a lot of bad coaches in this league that shouldn't have head coaching positions Arthur Smith Ron Rivera to just name two and I'll throw Mike McCarthy in there to lead me to my fifth disappointment of the week. And that's the Dallas Cowboys win. The Dallas Cowboys win versus the New York Giants is being overblown. I still don't think the Cowboys are any good. I think that they're um, just their win is being overstated so much. I can't trust them. They have given you nothing for the past several years with almost the same team to trust them with. Jerry Jones is so bullheaded. He's not going to add anything to make this team any better. He thinks his team is good enough to win a Super Bowl. It's not. They didn't go for anybody um, at the trade deadline. This, this, this team is not a top 10 team. It's not a top 15 team. It's probably 16. Other than that, I think that this team is, it's just, it's a country club that is being fed too much media hype over nothing. Um, because they want to be deemed America's team. That's why. That was my fifth disappointment. Now we're going to go to our five surprises of the week. I'll start off with my first one. It was Miss Nasty Man, Deshaun Watson, in the second half. 14-14, <laughs> led a game-winning drive. Felt like Deshaun Watson finally looked... In the first half, he was just awful, and he had, a, he had an interception. It felt like in the second half, he started to find himself a little bit. 
It looked like he was a little bit banged up, but I think you saw a little bit of old Deshaun come out in the second half. Uh, and it, if the Browns are going to do anything in the playoffs, he, you're going to have to have Deshaun Watson play most of what he did in the second half, which is efficient, good. He's got the mobility. <laughs> and I think if the Browns can get any, if they get 80 to 90% of what he did in the second half, they, they could be a team that could make some noise in the playoffs. They could be a real threat if that's the case. And I could see what you mean by um, just being able to move around. I haven't seen him try to move around this much and with such a, with such, um, how do I say this? I don't know if aggression is the right word or with such commitment to, to get the ball past the first down line. I haven't seen that at all the entire time he's been in Cleveland where he worked so hard to move that ball with, with everything he had. And he, and he did it very well, especially in the second half. My number one surprise of the week was Baker Mayfield and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They played consistent football in back-to-back weeks, even though they lost last week against C.J. Stroud and the Texans, which which against any other team, they would have they, they won that game. Um, but they played very well. Mike Evans was able to catch almost everything on the field, changing the game for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in their 20-6 win. Mike Evans had six receptions for 143 yards and one touchdown. Kudos to Baker Mayfield and the Bucs. I still think that they're going to be a problem heading down the stretch. Uh, of, towards the end of the season, and he went 18 for 29 for 278 yards. Baker Mayfield did with two t- t- with with two touchdowns and one pick. Very pleased. His ability to scramble um, isn't as good as it used to be, but he's he's playing very well, especially over the past two weeks. The only thing, like I said last week, that bothers me is his throwing power. That's the biggest issue because Mike Evans would have been able to catch some balls in the end zone, but he had to come back because of Baker's strength in his arm. So that's my number one surprise of week 10. What you got my, next year? My number two surprise was Kyler's performance off his ACL. I was really stunned that we saw the explosion and the elusiveness, the elusiveness he had before uh, his ACL injury last year. It was, it was something that I didn't think we would see immediately, but Kyler Murray being healthy is big for the Cardinals. Uh, you wonder if it's, it's interesting to see what they were, what they're doing now, because it looked like they were in line to maybe get a top five pick. But with Kyle Murray being healthy, maybe moves you out of that range and it moves you back in the draft. But I think that's not necessarily a bad thing because you can I think you'll still be able to get a good player because I think a lot of the quarterbacks will go early. You'll still be able to get a good player. And I think it shows that you can build around Kyle Murray if he comes in and everything is taken seriously and you can win games. That that that's good because now you don't have to figure out quarterback again or take a chance on a young guy. You already have your guy in place and then you can just build the roster around him. If you're a young player coming from college, and I don't watch college football, um, and you see that you're probably going to get drafted from the to the Arizona Cardinals, is I, I, and I don't even think we know what kind of offense they truly have um, on the Arizona Cardinals offensive side. But am I if I'm an offensive player um, in college, do I want to go to the Arizona Cardinals and play with Kyler Murray? It's, I think with Kyler Murray, it's interesting because you've seen him at times look like a top level quarterback. And then sometimes he'll fall off and sometimes he'll just flat out be bad. I think if you can get any consistency out of Kyler Murray, he is a top level quarterback in the NFL. And I think, yes, you would want to play with him. I think a lot of their issues come from the fact that maybe he didn't have the best relationship with Cliff Kingsbury. And it just maybe he didn't take things 100% seriously or maybe he's just frustrated. But if he can come in and show that he's serious and ready to come in and win, I think that's a big step forward because if, if Kyler Murray is going to be playing at a top level, I think the Cardinals rebuild goes way quicker. That's fair. Okay. My number two surprise of the week 
was the Seattle Seahawks. They pulled out a win against an overrated and overhyped offense led by an overrated coach, offensive coach, and Eric Bieniemy. You are um, they won twenty nine to twenty six, and I was glad to see that Pete Carroll and and Geno Smith were able to come up with a game plan that was actually legitimate, and and they didn't have any turnovers. This may have been the best game of Geno Smith's um, career in in Seattle. Arguably, he went thirty one for forty seven, three hundred sixty nine yards, and two touchdowns. Um, he he did good. So their win against the Commanders, I think, was solid. The Commanders put up a lot of points against the Eagles. Um, they've been a, a tough out just to get out, even though I think that they're not any good. Um, and just as, as has explained, just their, that their defense should be top tier, especially considering their head coach and their defensive coordinator. But um, I think their offense is, is way overblown for how good it could be or maybe. So congratulations to Seattle. You have to put together a win like this, especially in a close game coming off of a loss. So good, congrats, good, good for you, Geno Smith, and good for you, Pete Carroll. Congratulations to the Seattle Seahawks. That's my number two surprise. You, you are a hater. No, I'm a realist. Eric Bieniemy is not a good coach. Eric Bieniemy has Sam Howell as one of the top passing yards leaders in the NFL. Sam Howell's not a high level prospect. He was a fifth round pick, or at least the NFL didn't think of him as a high level prospect at one point, maybe early in his college career. But he was a fifth round pick, and He's having a pretty good year. He's 70 touchdowns, nine interceptions. Like, I don't really know how much sacked 90 times. I feel like that's a lot of Sam Howell's fault, though. He holds on to the ball a lot. I don't feel exactly. like exactly. I don't feel if, like if you had a good offensive coordinator, you would tell him after the fucking 25th one. I don't feel you got to like get rid of the ball. You got to throw the ball. That's a Sam Howell issue. They're letting him. They're letting him learn. Now he's taking a lot of sacks. But I mean, in this game, he threw. He was 29 44, 312 yards, three touchdowns. He got sacked three times, but I feel like a lot of his issues are that he just runs into sacks. Like, they don't really have anyone better. I mean, I guess they could play Jacoby Brissett, but that's you're, you're kind of limiting your ceiling. I think Sam Howell has more probably natural ability than Jacoby Brissett, but, but yeah, he's playing fine for the fact he was a fifth round pick who hadn't he played one game last year. I feel like Eric Bieniemy has done a pretty good job with him. It, it's not been the it's not been like he's it's not like he's Patrick Mahomes, but he's. <laughs> He's had a nice year given the limitations that he has, which is he's not the biggest guy. He doesn't really feel pressured overly well at times. He runs into a lot of sacks, and he's putting up decent numbers. I feel like Eric Bieniemy's done a nice job with him. Oh, just stop. You are a hater. You're an Eric Bieniemy hater. Next, who do you have for your number four, Jess? Or your number three? My number three are, is the Vikings look like a playoff team without Kirk Cousins. I Say that like one more time. The Vikings look like a playoff team without Kirk Cousins. Okay. And I feel like that's mainly based around Josh Jobs and the job he has done since he's been traded to the Vikings. They have two wins that they may not have if Josh Jobs isn't there. And I just I feel like you watch that team, you watch confidence they play with with Dobbs. I feel like this is a team that can still make the playoffs and can be a scary team in the playoffs because they have a lot of weapons. Eventually, Justin Jefferson will come back. You have Jordan Addison. T.J. Hawkinson, K.J. Osborne, they've had is- they've had injuries and issues at running back, but their receiving threats are legit. And if they get fully healthy, they're going to be a they're going to be a scary team in the playoffs. Would you? Okay, so this is the this is the type of vibe or 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 feeling or or momentum I was feeling from just um, watching the game and watching Joshua Dobbs, who I like, who I already praised um, already in his podcast and multiple podcasts this year. Um, does he not give you some type of electric feel, like when you watch Taylor Heineke? At least to me, that's how that's what I get. That the team seems to get amped up, like they feel that vibration, they feel that energy that he brings. Just like the offense for 
Washington or um, Atlanta did or does when Taylor Heineke gets in the game. Do you, um, do you, do you sense that? With Josh Dobbs, I think he's got limitations, but he kind of knows what his limitations are, and he's not willing to kind of play around. Like, he doesn't have the biggest arm. He's not the biggest dude in the world. But what does he do? He's mobile, and he's pretty accurate, and he plays that way. He plays with good mobility and knows that he's able to get the ball out of his hands and be accurate. And I think we see him play to his strengths and not worry about his weaknesses. Well, here's is, an interesting stat for you. Joshua Dobbs, as a Viking, has five touchdowns. Zach Wilson, as a Jet, this entire season, has five touchdowns this season. Maybe you're right. They should have got rid of Zach Wilson a long time ago. Well, yeah, I mean, what you're seeing with Dobbs is I think Dobbs will probably be playing as a quarterback somewhere next year, whether it's with the Vikings or whether it's a team paying him. I believe he's shown enough that if he if he continues any type of this play going forward and if the Vikings are able to make the playoffs, we're going to see Dobbs get a chance to be a starting quarterback next year and probably get paid. Not going to probably be a huge long-term contract, but I could easily see a team bring him in on a big one- or two-year deal uh, if they're looking for a quarterback and they're not maybe necessarily in position to get a young guy because he does things well. Yes, he doesn't have the biggest arm, but he's mobile. And he's, he's got a good release. He's pretty accurate. Like, you, you can build around what Josh Dobbs has. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's why I asked you last week. Um, do you think that the Vikings would keep him? And you said no. No, I still think they're. I still think with the talent they have on their team, they're going to want to take the shot and go for a young quarterback. I think they move draft picks around and they take the shot at a young quarterback. Well, so you know what's crazy is you know you don't hear about some of these quarterbacks until game time, and then all of a sudden it's like okay, boom. Well, you look at his age. I think he's twenty eight years old. That that's that's pretty up there for the NFL. Yeah. I, are you surprised? I, at, are you surprised at how old he is? No, I, I've known. I I, I remember watching him play in college at Tennessee. Uh, okay. He's he's a he, yeah, he's a guy who was with the Steelers a little bit. Kind of was there a couple of years. He's bounced around a lot. Got his first playing time with Tennessee. Uh, I think you've only seen him get better and better since he's actually played though. So that's sometimes where you see a lot of these backup quarterbacks bounce around. Some of it's just because they haven't been able to play. And with Dobbs, he finally kind of got a little bit of playing experience, and he's only gotten better since he started punting. Yes, I agree. Huge fan of him. I, I, I've, I've been a huge fan of him. And maybe if the Jets would have traded for him or whatever else, their um, record could have been something different or something better. Let's see. My number three surprise of the week is the Las Vegas Raiders were able to put together two back-to-back wins since Josh McDaniels, a.k.a. the Sith, has been fired. They defeated the New York Jets 16 to 12, and the team seems to be behind Antonio Pierce, who is who was named the interim head coach for the Raiders. And I think it's a great fit for both sides. The quarterback, Aiden O'Connell, went 16 for 27, 153 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Not the greatest, but if he can win you a game, you'll take it. And Josh Jacobs, my God, in back-to-back weeks. You have two monster games. Yeah, 27 carries this week for 116 yards. I've been wondering what's happened. It, it was Josh McDaniels really that bad? It's like you you didn't want this offense to succeed at all. I mean, was this on purpose for you to? I think it was a combination. This team. I think it was a combination of Josh Jacobs maybe missing training camp and not fully being 100 percent ready to play football. I also think some of it's just Josh McDaniels is it's proof time and time and again that. Josh McDaniels when he's not with the New England Patriots or with Tom Brady and mainly with Tom Brady on the New England Patriots, he's not a good coach, whether it be with the Rams, the Broncos, just 
the Raiders, like we, we see it. He's not a great coach outside of New England and with Brady. So when you remove those two things, it's not good. Right. Well, I, I think that the players, I mean, it, it's showing just in the stat lines, the players themselves are saying that they, they enjoy this environment a lot more than what, it, what the, than the New England way, I guess I could say. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And it's, I think Antonio Pierce even said that he was going to make sure that the number one offensive um, person on this team was going to be Devontae Adams. And Devontae Adams had six receptions for 86 yards, and he did great. And Devontae Adams looks like he has a a, a fresher breath air just in his career and in his, in his face alone. So I'm glad to see that the Raiders are, are doing good. They're 5-5 five and five right now. I wish the Raiders the best, and I hope that they go over 500 and become a winning team. And when the Chiefs play them, we beat them. So there's no excuses. That is my number three. So congratulations to the Raiders. Which, uh, what's your number four, Jess? So my number four was the Raiders being 2-0 with an interim coach and just them looking way more confident and happy without Josh McDaniels and then just getting him the hell out of there. Uh, so I'll finish up with my fifth one, which is Sam Howell. I think Sam Howell's done a nice job considering he's a fifth-round pick who people didn't really think a ton of. Yeah, he has his problems, but if I were to tell you he had the numbers he has right now at the beginning of the at the beginning of the season, people would be shocked. 70 touchdowns, nine interceptions. Not great, but given what his status was coming into the season, him being an unknown, and the issues Washington has with their coaching and just everything on that team, he's played okay given the circumstances he's been provided with. Um, kind of interesting where you change your tone where last week you were saying he's not a good quarterback. Um, I shit on Eric Bieniemy, and Eric- you want to give him some praise. So I don't agree with that analysis. Mainly an Eric Bieniemy take. He's Eric Bieniemy has done a nice job with Hal, given limited Hal is. Oh, stop! My number four. I mentioned this earlier, so I'm just going to hit some of the bullet points. Joe Burrow looked really good versus the Texans. I thought that his ability to to he doesn't look like a quarterback thing that, that can get away from you, but he does, and he does it very well. I didn't see any nagging, uh, lingering injury. Uh, anything lagging from the cap injury he had that he suffered in, in spring training camp in, spring, in training camp. I'm sorry. Um, he went 27 for 40, 347 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. That's not good. But the way he, I saw him play, um, I thought was really, really good. That's my number four. My number five, Russell Wilson has played very well throughout the year. He has not truly lost in the games. I think it's been a combination of other things, mainly head coaching. That has been the, the biggest problem. And Congratulations to Russell Wilson for winning this game against the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen. They are about to implode, and I can just hear Stephon Diggs from Buffalo, New York right now cussing everybody out and throwing hands. Who's your number five? I already went through my number five. Was how. Gotcha. Okay. What's next, Jess? We're moving on to the I told you so's, and I'll start off with mine. The Bills are primed for a rebuild. I've been saying this since the beginning of the season, even before that. This team looked like they needed to just trade pieces off and rebuild. They did not. They went all in. Let's try to win the Super Bowl. Let's Go ahead, Jess. The Bills are, are, are due for rebuild. The, the Bills are primed for a rebuild. I think what we're seeing is that this is a team that should have just traded some of their pieces and rebuilt their roster after they lost to the Bengals in the divisional round. Instead, they decided to double, uh, they, well, excuse me, they decided to double down and go for a chance to win the Super Bowl. And it's blowing up in their face. They're five and five. They don't look like a contender. They look like one of the. They look like a team that needs to start trading off pieces to accumulate assets so that they can get a younger roster and just rebuild. I think in a way they need to do what 
Kansas City did when they traded Tyreek Hill. Just get young assets, put it back into the team, and then get your cap in order so that you can go spend and get guys that you think will really help your team. So to me, the Bills, you're prime for a rebuild. I've been saying this for the entire season and even a little bit in the offseason. They, they need a rebuild and that their championship window with this core has run out. Trade some of those guys, rebuild it. I don't think it's going to be like what the Chiefs did where they just trade a couple guys or get rid of a couple guys and then they're immediately championship contenders. They probably might miss playoffs next year if they start trading digs and maybe trade Von Miller. But I think if you're looking at what is the best solution to fixing this team and getting the most young count on this roster so you can get your cap in order and then you can go spend wisely with your cap space that you do have. I think it's just completely blowing this team up and rebuilding. I'm going to echo that. And that's not my number one, but it's on my list. So I'm just going to go ahead and talk about it. I echo everything you said. And going to what I said earlier, when we were breaking down the, the loss to the, to the Broncos, Josh Allen, Sean McDermott and the Buffalo Bills need to part ways with each other because this marriage is over. It hasn't worked. If you want to say it's worked, show me where it's worked. Josh Allen has worked his ass off. But other than that, show me where they are true contenders. You can't. There is nothing to see here. They need either, either honestly, Josh Allen needs to go. Sean McDermott has to go. And the Buffalo Bills need to do exactly what you said, Jess. Do what the Chiefs did to get their money in order. Because this team, to me, is dead in the water. And they are not true contenders. They will never win anything if they keep playing like this. That's what I'm going to echo for you, which is on my uh, I told you so list. But on my number one is Jared Goff is a top five quarterback in the league. He played excellent against a hot Los Angeles Chargers team, defeating them 41-38, throwing for over 300 yards, two touchdowns, and going 23 for 33 in completions. He played very, very well, and um, he is a top five quarterback. I think he gets a bad rap because of his play in, in L.A. towards the end. But kudos to Jared Goff. You are a top five quarterback in this league. What's your number two, Jess? My number two is that, or that the Ravens are a front runner. I've been saying this kind of throughout the episode, but I think the Ravens are a front runner. We, you look at what they did in 2019. They would run the ball, pound teams, get the lead, and blow teams out. And just, they look dominant. But they got to the playoffs. They played a team that could play physical. They, they kept the game pretty close. Then they took the lead. Ravens don't have the passing game, don't have the offense to come back. I think we're seeing the same thing this year, is that they are a really good team. But if they play in these tight games, they're having issues finishing the job. And they they maybe don't have the passing game to play from behind. We can, you, really- can you reiterate that, that term you used? You said you believe that the Ravens are a front runner? Yeah, they're a front runner. When they're ahead and they're in front, they're great. Everything goes well. They're, they're tremendous. Everyone's happy. Everyone's cheering them on. And that everyone thinks that they're a real Super Bowl contender. But when they play in these games where it's tight or they're down, they have trouble winning. And it's one of those things where we, we see them in games, whether it be against the Colts, the Steelers, or this game versus the Browns, where the games are pretty tight late and they make mistakes and find ways to lose. And that's my main issue with the Ravens is that they're in these games and more often than not, they find a way to lose those games or they're just about 50-50. Some of these games you have to win. If you're going to take the next step, you have to win most of these games because that's how an NFL in the NFL are played is their one possession games. So, yeah, you blow out the Lions, you blow out the Seahawks, that's great. When you play the games that really matter, a game against Indianapolis, who might be a playoff team, 
a game versus the Steelers, who look like they might be a playoff team and they're in your division. You play a game against the Browns, who are in your division, probably going to be a playoff team. You have to win those games late. You have to finish the job. And they don't do it enough for me. Well, I think the term that you use, frontrunner, is not the appropriate term. Um, frontrunner front runner means that they're leading um, as just well, yeah. as, a, as a whole. So they're, using they're, that in that type of um, breakdown, I don't think it's the right one. But if, if anything, I would say they are a faux runner. They are frauds to exactly what you've been saying all year long. I would say the biggest thing with the Ravens, though, is when they play from ahead, everyone loves them. They're great. But it's when it's when things don't go right, they don't have the ability to adjust. When they're ahead, everything's great. But what we saw in this game is that they got ahead of the Browns. Okay, everything's going great. The Browns then cut it to a one-possession game. What happened? I mean, Lamar exactly then right. pick six, and the game gets really tight. They then can't run off the clock. Browns get the ball back and win. So yeah, every, right. everything's great when they're ahead, but when they're not, it's bad. And you see them, you see the quality of play drop because they get tense and they make mistakes. Well, I think that the, the issue is also, you know, you, you said it, and we, we've already alluded to this several different times. We've had this breakdown about this team and, and what happened this week between them and the Cleveland Browns um, already through this podcast. But when they're pressed, and it's not even when they're pressed because you have different um, – lead changes throughout the game. I think it's the clock that gets to them. They can't play their own game. And I think if people actually look at the clock and look at their time management with it, that is maybe probably one of the biggest hiccups they have in their in their entire um game plan that they have yet to be that they have yet to fix over the past you, 5 years. Would you say it's because they don't maybe trust their passing game to to work in obvious passing situations? Yes. When when you need a third down and eight, who's gonna get the who's gonna get the ball? Yes, and that's not saying that Lamar can't throw the ball, and I don't ever say that because I don't like him. Um, but I believe he's a nice human being. No, I, but I think it's quarterback pass game than their actual Lamar's ability to throw the ball. It's that when they get in obvious passing situations, more often than not, they're not able to convert and finish games off that way. They like being able to run the ball, play action, and run the clock out that way. But yes. when they're tight games and they have to throw the ball, it's not what they like to do. Exactly. I think that's fair. And uh, was that your number two? Yes. Okay. Well, um, so I echoed that. So that was, I got three down. What's your number? What's your number three? My number three is the Jets should have added a quarterback at the trade deadline. Whether, whether it is a Josh Jobs, whether it is a Taylor Heineke, whether it is a Jameis Winston or Jacoby Brissett, they should have added a quarterback who's better than Zach Wilson. And if you look at how Zach Wilson plays, that's basically any quarterback in the league who's not named Zach Wilson or Tommy DeVito. Mm-hmm. And they just – they stuck with Zach Wilson, and they bet on the wrong thing, and it might cost them the playoffs and probably will cost them the playoffs because they decided to stick with Zach Wilson instead of ignoring the obvious red flags, which is he played he played a couple good quarters against the Chiefs, and then the next week against the Broncos, you barely won. And the game they had right before the trade deadline against the Giants, when you're playing – Tommy DeVito, and he, they don't trust him to throw the ball, and you barely win that game. I mean, you're exactly right. Um, and we just alluded to that in, in the last segment. They should have, but they didn't. And now you have – I don't think we even talked about this yet, um, not even in the in the headlines or in the, in the latest news. Aaron Rodgers says he's going to come back in mid-December or early December. How do you know if the, if the Jets are going to be a contender by then? I don't, don't think – yeah, I don't, I don't think it. I don't think you can. I don't think there's any way you can definitively say they're a contender with Zach Wilson at all because it's a struggle for them to even score touchdowns. Yes, there's no way to gauge that at yeah. all unless they do something and get rid of Zach Wilson. And then I don't know who they'd have to get a 
a free agent, right, to come in and, and do the job. I mean, I, I think the backup right now to Zach Wilson is like Trevor Simeon, who's not great, but he can do some basic things. And I think what Zach Wilson is that he can make a couple wild plays and he can scramble and he's got a strong arm, but he's not consistently doing the right things on individual plays. And the, I don't even Trevor think Trevor Simeon is not the answer to that team. I don't even think Trevor Simeon is probably better than Zach Wilson, but he can kind of do basic things like just get the ball out of his hands on time and maybe not have some of the bad fumbles that Zach Wilson's had. He's had bad fumbles. I know he had the interception late in the game against the Raiders, but if you look at him, he interceptions really haven't been the problem for him. It's been fumbles and him hanging around the pocket too long and just maybe him not having the instincts of knowing when to scramble or when to get rid of the ball. He has a lot of physical tools. He just, it's been three years. He hasn't put together yet. People laughed at me when I said they should have called, even though I believe they did, call Phillip Rivers. They should have signed him. He at least would have been three grades above this guy, at least, because Phillip has nothing but upside. So does Zach Wilson. Then you've seen him play week uh, week one, and you're like, okay, this guy, the, the, you can't possibly win this many games with this guy. Man, it's just, I feel so bad for the Jets fans, but you're 100% right, Jess. That was your number three? Yes. Okay, well, my number four is I told you eventually Deshaun Watson was going to bounce back some type of way and have a decent game that reminded you of the old Deshaun Watson. And I echo the same sentiment that I just said about Deshaun with Russell Wilson. Um, and I'm glad, and I hope they both find their stride to make this game a lot better because when they both play great, football is a lot more enjoyable because you know it's going to be a lot more competitive or it's going to be hopefully the best of the best competing against each other. So um, th that's my number fourth. I told you so. Congratulations to both of them. Who's your number four? My number four uh, are the Bengals. They're good, but they dug themselves a big hole, and I don't know if they're going to be able to dig themselves out of it. The reason I say that is that they're currently five and four. On Thursday night, they play the Ravens. They then play the Steelers, the Jags, the Colts, the Vikings, the Steelers, the Chiefs, mm. and the Browns. They have a very hard schedule. So they were one of the hottest teams in the NFL. They are playing great. They can't really afford to lose any games, and they drop one to the Texans. As good as they are, they might miss the playoffs because they're playing an incredibly difficult schedule. And that's that's what happens when you drop games early because your quarterback's banged up. You had a game versus the Browns. They lost 24-3. That game was not a complete blowout, though. They had chances in that game, and they lost because Joe Burrow wasn't healthy, and his receivers gave him no help. They then lose to the Ravens. They got down big in that game. They barely beat the Rams, and then they get blown out by Tennessee. Their first four weeks were so bad, it's going to keep them from making the playoffs, at least in my opinion. Just looking at their schedule, I don't know that they're going to be able to make the playoffs with how many tough games they have left to play and how many division games they have left to play. They have four division games left. You play the Steelers twice, you play in the Ravens, and you play the Browns in the season. That's tough. Those are four games that they might split. But then that puts you at six losses, which means you need to you're going to have to beat the Chiefs. You're going to beat the Colts. You're going to beat the Jags. You're going to have to beat the Vikings and the Vikings. The Vikings with Josh Jobs is not a guaranteed win that it could have been had they not added a backup quarterback. Them adding Josh Jobs, that's going to be a game that's probably back and forth and pretty close. And they just they don't yes. have any error and they lost the game. They they probably should have won. Well, And by then you may have Justin Jefferson who comes back. Exactly. Justin Jefferson. That's in, what, four or five weeks they play the Vikings? He will probably be back by then, and there's a chance, other than Kirk Cousins, Minnesota is at full capacity. Yep, it's going to get really interesting, very interesting. My number five, I told you so, and this echoes um, what you and I have discussed for, for years now. Where there's a will, 
there's a way. And one of my favorite coaches or our favorite coaches and Mike Tomlin will find a way to win a game. The Steelers won 23 to 19. Um, and their defense just seems to just be that damn good where their pressure is enough to do anything to rattle the opposing team. Uh, Mike Tomlin, his Steelers moved to six and three for the, for the season thus far. Congratulations to them. They lost in almost every offensive category um, besides rushing. Other than that, their defense is just lights out. They're so good. That's my number five. I told you so. And I say I told you so because going to what you say all the time, if a game's close, 95% of the time, the Steelers and Mike Tom are going to figure out a way to win this game. So kudos to you too, Jess. Great take. Well, that was actually my last I told you so as well. So it's one of those things where I think Tomlin gets a lot of unnecessary blame because the Steelers quarterbacks have been bad. You had Ben Roethlisberger, who was injured, couldn't throw the ball down the field. You then are given Mitch Trubisky and rookie Kenny Pickett. Well, Trubisky's bad. Pickett comes in. He's a rookie. Not very good. This year, we've not seen him take a pro, uh, progress offensively. And, yeah, you can put some of that on Tomlin for keeping Matt Canada and then not having an offense that has gotten better. But when what Mike Tomlin is given, he makes the best of. He's given Kenny Pickett by the GM. He's and this goes to your credit, Jess. The Steelers have been outgained every game since week one, and it's week 10 already. And they're six and three. And they're six and three. Results week one, they lost. Week four, they lost. Week eight, they lost. Other than that, every other game's a win. So for, for all the people that want to fire Mike Tomlin, he would immediately get hired and he would make any team he goes to an immediate contender as long as you have a serviceable quarterback. He's yes. doing Kenny Pickett, who threw for 126 yards. So you. If you're a Pittsburgh fan and you're, oh, man, Tomlin, oh, he's not got the office figured out, oh, he's got issues here and there, I just want you to know, if you get rid of Mike Tomlin, he will go to another organization. He'll go to a team like the Chargers and immediately make them a contender. Absolutely. Then a lot of the silly stuff the Chargers deal with, not going to happen with Mike Tomlin, and he immediately is going to put them in position to be a contender every year. That's that's how valuable Mike Tomlin is. That The Steelers are going to probably be a playoff team. They might even win their own division because you're a coach. Does the simple things like win games he's supposed to and late in games, they typically are going to win those games because he's going to have them execute better than the other team, even if that other team has a little bit more talent. This this should tell people, or it is telling two people, if they're actually honest with themselves, Bill Belichick wishes he was as good of a coach as Mike Tomlin because that's all Bill Belichick wants to do is have a great defense. He has a shitty quarterback, and he wants to win games. But there's no coach in the NFL – for a good period of time, that can do what Mike Tomlin does. I could argue that Matt Jones is better than Kenny Pickett. That if Matt Jones was the Steelers quarterback, they might Don't even... be disrespectful. Huh? Matt Don't Jones? Don't be disrespectful. I mean, Kenny Pickett, he's not much better. For the, for the season, Kenny Pickett has six touchdowns and four interceptions. He's been he's been pretty bad. That Matt Jones, with at least a decent amount of talent that the Steelers have offensively, he might be a little bit better than Kenny Pickett, who's been awful for a majority of the season. It's just... I, I don't understand why people are so quick to want to get rid of Tomlin after he continuously wins with bad quarterback play. You couldn't get rid of Ben Roethlisberger. He couldn't do that. That just wasn't going to happen. Yep. And then he's given Mitch Trubisky and rookie Kenny Pickett. And, okay, you want Pickett to take the next step as the quarterback. Not done that. He's been one of the worst starting quarterbacks in the NFL. They're still winning games despite that. Yeah, maybe they're not a real championship contender. They are a playoff team that might be able to win a game. Given and this goes back to what you said about Ben Roethlisberger um, about three or four years ago when he, he was a name, but he wasn't any good as a quarterback. You said he was uh, something in a, in a coffin. Um, God, I don't know what the term you used. 
but people love that 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 what you call him because he sucked. And it's not like Mike Tomlin had a great quarterback to do anything with. You know what I'm saying? It was his defense that bailed bailed him out to keep him from having a losing season. Yeah, he was he was the Walking Dead, basically. He 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 looked like a walker trying to throw a pass. That's he what just, you said, Jess. You said he was a walking coffin. That's what you was, said. He is. He just, he was awful. He was the worst quarterback in the NFL. People just didn't want to admit it because he he was a Hall of Fame level quarterback. It's okay to say that he wasn't an NFL quarterback. He couldn't throw the ball down the field. He couldn't really move. His biggest asset that was that he was huge and he was hard to sack. But other than that, he he didn't really do anything that other guys couldn't do. He was just really good at throwing short passes. He threw a lot of short passes, and they were able to win some games that way, but they weren't real contenders. I agree. Um, what do you think about my uh, comparison between him and Bill Belichick? Yeah, I, I think it, I think it, I think it's a good one because I I think Mike Tomlin is proving that he's probably the second or third best coach in the NFL, right behind Andy Reid, given what he's given almost every single year, and him being able to turn it into something successful. That Bill Belichick has a lot of the same issues, but he's not able to win at the level that Tomlin is, and. Some of that you could say is, oh, well, Tomlin's not the GM. Then that shows Bill Belichick, maybe you should give up some of that power, try to get somebody new in there, get a fresh voice, and have them draft so that you can just focus on coaching and development. Bingo. That's the money right there. Exactly. Exactly. Nobody has made that point but you. And that's the best point I've heard made throughout this entire season regarding Bill Belichick. Very good. Um, Before we wrap up, Jess, let's break it down. Um, do you have an NFL team to watch out for? So my NFL team to watch out for, I think is I'm going to go with the Houston Texans who are on a hot streak. They are a team that I, I think they're still going to have their problems against some of the top teams in the NFL, but against, I would say other than maybe a three or four teams, they can beat almost anybody in any given week. Now they might lose to almost anybody like they'd lost to the Panthers, but they have a quarterback and they're going to be able to win games. They're going to be an exciting team down the stretch. I agree. Uh, that's a, that's a very good pick. But my pick, I had the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, I think they can still win their division or make their division uh, more competitive um, because they seem to be coming on a hot streak offensively. And I think that's going to win them at least three or four more games. I'm not sure what the entire division is going to look like when this is all said and done. Derek Carr may be hurt again. You don't know. They're under 500. Um, the Falcons are under 500. The Panthers are under 500. The Bucks are under 500. So going forward, this should be interesting to see how high powers their offense can be. I know there were there were talks about their head coach being fired. I don't. I think he's a really good head coach. I don't think he should be fired. Um, Mike Evans is going to be the key to everything, and Chris Godwin's going to be the backup key to everything. Um, Baker Mayfield is seems like he's finding a stride offensively, and it's building more confidence in him, regardless of the record. Um, but that's the entire division. So going forward, I think this may be a sleeper team that's going to surprise a lot of people. They lost to C.J. Stroud. Uh, last week in a very close game, like I said earlier and last week, that against any other team they would have they would have beat. Um, they beat a supposed hot team against Will Levis and the Tennessee Titans, um, who have a phenomenal, phenomenal number one wide receiver in Deshaun and uh, um, DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins. I'm sorry. Thank you, Jess. And um, but they just, I think it was a bad idea. They didn't get rid of him now because they're in a struggle. To go the the Titans are in a struggle to compete now against their teams in their division. So this win against them for the Bucks puts them in a better place to go on a hot streak than any other team in their division. As I think every, every other team lost. Is that true? Is that correct, Jess? Falcons uh, lost. The Saints lost. Panthers lost. And the Panthers lost. 
Falcons lost. Yeah, they're the only team that, in the NFC South that won. Yeah. So this, I think that this is a team to watch out for. Um, it's going to be uh, very interesting to see what they do going forward. What's your best team in the NFC? Uh, well, my best team in the AFC is the Chiefs. My okay. best team in the NFC is the Eagles. I, it's going to it's sticking. Uh, I'm sticking with the two I've had for most of the season. Chiefs and Eagles, best in the AFC, best in the NFC. Um, I'm going to echo you with the Chiefs. I apologize for skipping over it. Um, I had a bad angle. Um, even though they didn't play, I still think that Mahomes separates himself from everybody else, which gives them the best chance to win. However, offensively, that's still my biggest gripe. They have no offense. So the Ravens losing doesn't help anything this week because Jess and I have, have overstated on this podcast that they're not that good. So I'm going to go with the Chiefs for the best team in the AFC, but I'm going to go still with the best team in the NFC, I think, is the, the Detroit Lions. I think that they are the most complete team because I also still believe that the Philadelphia Eagles have offensive issues with their team. What's next, Jess? Worst AFC, worst NFC, worst AFC, New England Patriots. I mean, I think that's pretty easy. Worst NFC for me, Carolina Panthers. That's a team that is having a lot of issues. Just front office, coaching, quarterback, like they, they just don't seem to be in order. So worst AFC, Patriots, worst NFC, Panthers. Worst AFC, I had the Patriots. Worst NFC, I had the Giants. I think that's, that's the, uh, the comparison between them and well, I was going to say the thing the comparison between them and the Panthers. I think the Panthers have a, a ten times better quarterback, and I think Bryce Young is a better quarterback than Devito, Daniel Jones, and anybody else they have as a backup on that team. And I think he would be a, a huge improvement if he were on the Giants right now um, to complement the running game. So I would go that they are the worst team in the in the NFC as the New York Giants because Danny Devito's son just ain't cutting it. I just wish I could taste his mama's cutlets. Well, yeah, that's all I got for this. Um, also with the Giants, they seem to have a little bit of a rift that you could see them arguing on the sideline when they were playing the Cowboys. That it just it just oh, seems yeah. like not on the same page. They're frustrated with the coaching, and obviously at this point you're down to your third string quarterback, who they they didn't really trust to throw the ball. But when they did have him throw the ball, Brian Dayball was just yelling at him and stuff like that. I know he threw in the triple coverage for an interception, but I mean. You called the play. Like if, if you don't trust him to throw the ball, then don't throw the ball. Don't call a passing play and then get angry when he throws the pick. You're you're dealing with an inexperienced third string quarterback here. Yeah, that was just the the memes on that game alone were hilarious because of how bad that energy is on that sideline. And I still see Brian Dayball getting fired from that job. I don't see like, how he can stay. It feels like they might have to start cutting guys because it just feels like guys are going to ask for the release and they're just going to not show up or something. It feels like it, it yeah, feels it's, like, it's that bad. Yeah, it feels like it's going to get that bad where they might have to start cutting guys and just letting guys go and hitting. We'll see who teams want off that team via free agency. Well, and I also don't think that the, the Giants have had a good, consistent coach since you had Eli and um, Tom Coughlin. Tom Coughlin, yes, thank you. Um, that relationship between quarterback and coach is almost unmatched because they were like father and son and Tom Kaufman was a strong, strong minded coach who was extremely stern and had his players in check while Brian Dable and the other guy who was there prior to him. Um, I think it was a bigger guy. I can't remember his name. It just hasn't clicked for them before them. It was Joe Douglas or Joe judge and Ben McAdoo. Yeah. Not good. Not good at all. Yeah, that's been a problem with the giants though. They just, they haven't been able their coaching has been such a disaster, and you felt like, okay, they might they might have found something in DeBall, but this year has been such a disaster. If last year was an incredible success, this has been an equal disaster, and it just you 
you wonder what that team is going to be like by the end of the season because it feels like they might have to start cutting guys to, if they want to have Dayball be able to keep that locker room. Yeah, that locker room, that locker room looks like it's going to be gone. I don't, know, I don't know who they play. I can look it up right now, but that's going to be interesting to see who they lose to this week. You don't see them winning a game for the rest of the year. Well, I'm looking that, right now. Give me just one it's second. It's interesting that you say that because we're getting into the week 11 predictions. We're going to start Thursday night football. Bengals and Ravens. Bengals. I got the Bengals. Oh, I was going to say, the Ravens are a three-and-a-half-point favorite. I will go with the Ravens in this one. I think they win a, I think they win a close game. The fact they're at home is why I think they win. I think we'll, we're going to see them be a little bit maybe embarrassed by how they finished that game versus the Browns, and they're going to come back and win this game. You said you're going with I the Bengals? That, that's going to be two straight losses for them at home. They took a loss last week, this past week, against Cleveland, and... They're going to have another loss by Joe Burrow and the Bengals. The only way Joe Burrow and them actually conclusively win this game is by not turning over the ball. That's my pick. And then, okay, we're going to go to we're going to move to our Sunday games. The Pittsburgh Steelers go to Cleveland to play the Browns. The Browns are a three and a half point favorite. I got the Browns. I will also take the Browns. I feel like if Deshaun Watson just plays half as well as he did against the Ravens, they win this game fairly easily. I just think Kenny Pickett. He's such a Difficult quarterback to win with when you're playing really good teams. Yeah, he, um, I, I mean, just a matchup alone, even by name alone, just for Deshaun Watson, um, he's a 10 times better quarterback on paper versus Pickett. And PJ Walker's a better quarterback, in my opinion, than Pickett is himself. So well, I'm, I'm going to go with the Browns. Played better the last month is what gives me confidence to pick the Browns. If he had still been playing as poor as he had maybe to start the season, I think I'd go with the Steelers, but. Given how Watson's looked over the last couple of weeks, I would say I, I think going for the Browns is a is a good bet here. Our next game, the Arizona Cardinals go to Houston to play the Texans. The Texans are a four-point favorite. I will go with the Texans. This is a tough I'm game. I'm going with the Texans big time. Yeah. yeah, this is a tough game. Kyler Murray makes this interesting. If it if it hadn't been Kyler Murray or or Josh Dobbs, if it, it was if it was gonna be Clayton Toon, I think this is a I think this is probably a stay away game. But I, I think that Hello? Oh uh, yeah, I was gonna say I think CJ Stroud. And with the way he's been playing, I think we're going to see him. This this is an important game for the Texans. If they win this game, they've established themselves as a team that is going to be a playoff contending, playoff making team. And this is the type of game you're going to win if you're going to actually win the uh, AFC South. They're only a game behind ja- Jacksonville. They have already beat Jacksonville once a season. If you're going to win the division, this is the type of game the Texans win. See, I think it's a, almost a mirror image of quarterback quarterback. So this is going to be an actually close game. Um, most of them, what I think people believe it's going to be because they played the exact same way. I don't know how much taller CJ Stroud is versus Kyler Murray. Uh, um, Stroud is about six, three. He's, he's got, uh, he's got a pretty good amount of height on uh, Kyler Murray. The one thing I would say is Stroud does well moving in the pocket, but he's not maybe the scrambler that Murray is Stroud is able to kind of move around a little bit, but he doesn't really want to run as much. Murray's more willing to run. He's still not what I would call a runner, but he's more willing to run than maybe CJ Stroud, who's looking to hang around in the pocket a little bit more than Calgary. Right. Well, next- and I think that's certain, that their game mirrors each other. So that's why I said that. And I think it's actually going to be closer than people think. So I'm, I'm going to go with the Texans, though. Okay. Our next game, the Tennessee Titans go to Jacksonville, or Jackson, excuse me, Jacksonville to play the Jaguars. Jacksonville's a six and a half point favorite. I feel like this is a must win for Jacksonville. You can't lose a game to a rookie quarterback, a team that's struggling offensively. You you have to win this game. You have to keep losing teams losing. I'm going to pick Jacksonville to win this game. 
in their first matchup. Did Tennessee win? That's interesting. Uh, let me check right now. Tennessee has they have Tennessee has not played Jacksonville this season yet. They play them this week and to end the season in week 18. So this is their first matchup this season. Well, that's interesting because Jack uh, Tennessee needs a win if they want to stay in, in, in the hunt. Otherwise, if they lose this game, they're out for the season. I would say they're already probably out for the season anyways, just given their limitations offensively. But, yes, I, I understand what you're saying. That Vrabel is probably going to coach as hard as he can to try to make the playoffs. So they're going to, you know, they're going to play hard. And if you're Jacksonville, you have to play hard and you have to bounce back after you got blown out by San Francisco. This is a stay away game for me. I, I can't trust that game because you never know what, what the Titans are going to do, honestly, especially with Mike Vrabel being the coach. Um, and I could see them easily beating the Jaguars just because of how shit works in the NFL, where, where there are patterns. People go into patterns in the NFL. Just like I said last week, the Broncos were going to beat um, the Bills this week, and they did. I could see the Jaguars losing another game and everybody starting to put pressure on on the Jags organization. So I, I, I'm staying away from this game. I don't know who's going to win. I want the Jags to win, but I don't think they're, they're, they're going to. Our next game, the Las Vegas Raiders go to Miami to play the Dolphins. The Dolphins are in an 11.5-point favorite. If Tyreek doesn't play or Waddle, I'm going with the Raiders. I will go with the Dolphins. This is a game for the Dolphins. Once again, if you're going to win the division and you're going to be a real contending team, you have to be a team like the Raiders. I know they've won their last two, but that's a team that is having issues offensively because they're dealing with a young quarterback and an offensive line that at times has been shaky. You keep losing teams, or and they, I mean they've won the last two, but you keep teams like the Raiders losing, and you you win games like this if you're going to win a division. I will go with Miami, but I am a little bit afraid of this pick just because I don't fully trust the Dolphins. They just they they it feels like they're going to have one bad loss. I know they beat a lot of the bad teams on their schedule. They basically beat every bad team on their schedule, but it just feels like they have one one of these out of nowhere losses coming. I don't think it's this week, but I. The Dolphins just give me pause. Just watching how this they play. Is it. This is the other pattern that I'm talking about. They're going to lose. They're going to lose because this team isn't even a losing team. It's not even a winning team. They're at 500. They're 5-5, five and five, the Raiders are. But on the other side that you have to realize when it comes to putting pressure on Tua, the man gets sacked and the man can will not be able to, to hold up against Max Crosby in that defense. I don't think, I don't think it's going to happen. I also know that Max Crosby has been one of the best defensive players in the entire NFL this entire season. So I'm, I'm going with the Raiders. Next, we have the Dallas Cowboys going to Carolina to play the Panthers. Dallas is an 11-point road favorite. Carolina. I will. I am going to go with Dallas, but I am a little bit nervous for this game considering the Cowboys lost a game like this earlier in the season to the Arizona Cardinals on the road. That's why. That's why and I'm saying I, it. If you're the Cowboys and you still have any hope of winning your division or just being taken seriously at all, you can't lose a game like this. I will go Cowboys, but it's very reluctantly. I'm going to go with the Cowboys, but for the exact same reasons you said. Next, we have the Chicago Bears going to Detroit to play the Lions. Detroit is a 10-point favorite. This game, to me, I'm interested because the Lions had such an emotional win on the road against the Chargers. I almost wonder if they have a letdown. This is a this is a divisional game. We'll see if Justin Fields comes back. I honestly don't know. I will go with the Lions, but I feel like this game is going to be way closer than... 10 points. I, I feel like this could get this could get down to a a team, two teams running the ball back and forth and be kind of a lower scoring game. I'm going to go with the Lions. Um, 
I don't see the Bears quarterback coming back at all this year, and I don't think he should. You think it's um, going to be huh? You think it's going to be Badgett playing for Fields? Yes, I think that the that you make a good point though, because we talk about patterns and what happens when you have high scoring teams put a lot of points up. It's exactly like baseball. When you score a lot of runs, you score a lot of points. The next week or the next game, you don't score shit. So this could be a game of field goals. Our next game, the Los Angeles Chargers go to Green Bay to play the Packers. The Chargers are a three-point favorite. I'm going with the, with the with the Packers. I'm also going to go with the Packers. One of the main reasons I say that is the Chargers' defense isn't that good. And if the Packers are going to get right offensively, this is the type of game that you get right offensively at home against a team with a defense that has had a lot of issues this year. What is the Chargers' record? They're four and five. The Packers are three and six. It makes me pause because the Chargers truly need this win. But I'm going to go with the Packers. I feel like this is a game, once again, if if they lo- if the Chargers lose this game, we could be talking about them firing Brandon Staley. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Next, we have the New York Giants going to Washington to play the Commanders. The Commanders are a nine-and-a-half-point favorite. I got to go with the Commanders. I'm going to go with the Commanders. I just – and I know I was giving Eric Bieniemy and the Commanders a lot of praise earlier, but I – we also talked about how bad Washington's defense was. I just, if you were to tell me Saquon had a buck fifty and two touchdowns in this game, I it wouldn't surprise me just given how bad Washington's defense is. That I know Tommy DeVito is bad. He does not look like an NFL quarterback. He probably isn't an NFL quarterback. But if you're gonna name to me a defense that could make him look like an NFL quarterback, it'd be Washington's command, the Washington Commanders defense. But I will, I will reluctantly go with the Commanders. Our next game, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers go to San Francisco to play the 49ers. San Francisco is an eleven point favorite. What is that game? Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay, the Buccaneers. They go to the they go to San Francisco to play the 49ers. San Francisco is an eleven point favorite. The disrespect. I'm going Baker Mayfield. I'm also gonna go with the Bucs too. I just I feel like it's good the the 49ers had a great win against the Jaguars. But I just feel like they're gonna struggle against the Bucks weapons with Godwin and Mike Evans. I think we've seen that a little bit this year. Is when you have good receivers, they can beat up San Francisco's corners. If the Buccaneers' pass protection can hold up enough, I feel like this could be a game we see Baker go for 300 or 350. Well, I could see them. I could see Baker, Baker honestly going because I think you and I both discussed this earlier um, before the show that this is going to be a high-scoring uh, game. But I will say that I see Baker going for over 400 yards and at least four or five touchdowns um, with about a pick or so. But I don't see Brock Purdy coming out with this game for one reason, and that's because you went against the number one defense in takeaways against the Jacksonville Jaguars last week, and they didn't show up. If the Bucks defense plays any harder than the Jags did, the Bucs are going to win this game. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say I see Baker going for 400 yards, but I think this is definitely a game where we can see some of the 49ers' flaws maybe more than we did against the Jaguars. Okay, that's fair. Next, we have the New York Jets going to Buffalo to play the Bills. Bills are a six-and-a-half-point favorite. Okay, so just talk conspiracy alone. The Jets have got to make the Bills fall into the pattern, but they won't do that with Zach Wilson. However, if the NFL elite want to manipulate a game, this is the game to do it. This will give the Jets breathing room to catch up for at least second place in their division, but they have to win and give a chance for Aaron Rodgers to come back. That's all I'm saying. Honestly, and the way the Bills play today, I don't know who's going to win that game. Honestly, I don't. I will go with the Bills, but this is the type of game where if you lose the Jets, I feel like they will fire Sean McDermott after the game. And it's at home, too. Tell you, these teams go into patterns, boy. These teams go into patterns. I can see it. Our next game, the Seattle Seahawks go to Los Angeles to play the Rams. 
Seattle is a one and a half point favorite. I will go with Seattle in this game. I'm going to go against my boy Geno Smith and Pete Carroll, and I'm going to go with my boy Maddie Maddie, Maddie Money, Maddie Money Bags, Matthew Stafford, the Rams, Puka Nakua, Cooper Cup. That offense, they have got to put it together. They will lose this game if Sean McVay has no plan to orchestrate a win for this team. Same pattern it was two weeks ago. He's got to come up with a pattern to win this game. I, Matthew Stafford, if he wants to make noise, this is the team to do it against. This in, Your entire division, you got some tough games coming up. Start here. You're 3-5 and five right now. you got to get some wins and create your own pattern to go forward. Our, our next game, Sunday Night Football, Minnesota Vikings go to Denver to play the Broncos. Denver is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I will go with Minnesota in this game. I think I like Minnesota's weapons more than I do the Broncos. I think this could be a surprisingly high-scoring game. I think this could be – it seems like a bad Sunday night football game, and it kind of is, but I think it could be a pretty fun bad game. I think it's going to be the same thing you said. But I'm, I think the Broncos are going to defeat the Vikings uh, just because, again, I've been saying patterns. Um, sound like a broken record, I know, but patterns happen in the NFL. And I think that the Broncos are going to are going to beat the Vikings. This yeah. game, this game also will give whoever's in that NFC North division some time to take a breath because that that those two top teams um, between the the um, the Lions and the Vikings, um, they're going to take a, a breath. So I I'm going to go ahead and and go with the Broncos. And Joshua Dobbs is going to have a good game, but I think he's going to mess the game up. Just because of inexperience versus the versus the Denver Broncos and Sean and Sean Payton, and this is this is a pretty big test for both teams. If the Vikings want to be a if they're gonna, if they want to be a wild card team, you you it may come down to winning a game like this on the road with Joshua Dobbs. And for the Broncos, you want to try to win this game to get back to five hundred. I think this could be well, not maybe a exciting matchup. It could be a pretty fun game overall. And then lastly, we finish up Monday Night Football. Eagles, the Philadelphia Eagles go to Kansas City to play the Chiefs. Chiefs are a three-point favorite. Monday Night Football, maybe the biggest game so far of the season. I will take the Chiefs. I think they are able to kind of attack Philadelphia's defense, which has struggled at times, especially in the secondary. I think the Chiefs figure something out there. I think this will be very similar to what happened in the Super Bowl in terms of it being a high-scoring game. comes down to last possession. I think it's going to be a boring game. Neither team truly has any offense, and if they do. The Eagles have way more offense. If that's saying anything compared to the Chiefs, because the Chiefs' offense is non-existent. But I'm going to go with the Chiefs because of what Jesse has said in the past, and that's that Andy Reid, after the bye week, comes out with his new stuff offensively and his schemes um, that he's been holding back all year to input into the into the into the offense to make it better and kind of rejuvenate what they've been lacking the entire season. So for that reason only, I'm going to go with the Chiefs. And that finishes out for our Week 11 prediction. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to the referendum. We appreciate you. Please follow us on all social media. This is your host, Big John, with Finn Flam Sports, with lead analyst Jesse J. Jesse, thank you for everything. Great show, and I'll talk to you soon. See you. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the referendum podcast brought to you by Finn Flam Sports. We would like to invite you to like us on all social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, wherever you can find somebody, we're there. TikTok, 
please like, subscribe, follow, whatever you can do to give us your support. We truly appreciate it. We hope to see you next time. You don't stop happening in the world today. You don't. You don't. You don't. We need to make a change one day.